You're now listening to the Hudson Valley Transmitter Podcast. So you're an artist, you work with glass. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Is there a type, uh, is there a name for the type of work that you do? Is it, is it, is it not, I saw it described as being a sculpture. Do you consider it a sculpture because you're making it out of another object or what type of? Well, it's, it's fused glass is the term for it. Okay. Um, not all of my pieces are sculpture because I do do some functional stuff, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I consider it sculpture because it either goes on the wall or it's in a stand. Mm-hmm. It's, so it's a freestanding piece. So that's why I consider it sculpture. Yeah. Um, in your bio, it says glass reminds you of the strength and uh, fragility of life. Yeah, because, well, I mean, glass is a pretty strong object. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you drop it, It'll it's going gonna, it's gonna to shatter and break. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about, there's all different kinds of glass, but like Pyrex, you can stick it in the, the oven and then into the refrigerator. So, I mean, it has different levels of being fragile but yeah i think it's kind of like us you know we can rebound sometimes sometimes we break that's cool um are you involved in the process of making glass as well how how do you get your glass that you work with no i make my glass you make well i don't make the sheets of glass i should say that um sometimes i make well, sometimes I actually do make my sheets of glass, but for the most part, I use a glass by a company called Bullseye, which is out in Portland. Okay. Portland, um, Oregon or Portland, Maine? Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And um, although they do have a place now in Mamaroneck, they have an outlet. But um, And they make it so that the coefficient of expansion is the same within each color. But So I just get large sheets of glass, and then I'll cut them up and... You know, design it however I want, and and then when it once it gets fired, it all becomes one piece of glass. But there can be you know anywhere from from six pieces of glass. Although in most of mine, there's usually about fifty to a hundred pieces. So it's ultimately made with sand, though, right? Yep. And that's they just compress it. How does that work? It's well, it glass is technically a, a liquid, believe it or not. Okay. I, I don't know how they, <laughs> I don't know the they scientific like reason why. Ignite it or something, um, burn it? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if when, when silica gets hot, I mean, it has other minerals in it, so it can be colors, but it, it, when it gets hot, it's molten, it's lava. Mm. So it flows. And then once it cools, it's hard again. Did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about how light impacts what you do? Because you might have a color in mind, but it's also sort of how it's illuminated, right? So you could have a piece and it'll look dark and then maybe you'll put it up to a window or something and it'll change. Will it ultimately change the color? It will spectrum? change the whole appearance of it depending on what you do. And now, and, and it's, it's really interesting because if I do a piece of glass that's transparent, mm-hmm. It can be different colors, but if it's just transparent all the way through and you put it in front of the window, unless it is an, unless it's an intense color, it's actually going to just 
it, it's going to look like it's hardly even there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if it's a lot of layers of the same color or different colors and they're really, really intense, you'll see them. Um, but if I put an opaque piece of glass or maybe opaque mixed with transparent in different areas in front of a window, um, the, the opaque will become translucent. So you'll be mm. able to see through it. It's, it's pretty interesting how, how light will change the, compl- the way glass looks completely. So when you're designing something, do you have that in mind? Yes, that- although I just made an award for somebody and I didn't keep that in mind. And so <laughs> it was transparent and, and they had all these lights on them and it was engraved and you couldn't see any of the any of the actual design because the light was sort of um, fading is not the right word but you know the design just sort of disappeared with the intense lights on them Um, and also so how do you sort of like it's not soldering right but you kind of layer the glass I layer the glass. No, I don't solder it at all. It's mm. it's layered and it's stacked on top of each other. And then, I mean, there's different ways to do it. But most of the time I stack it and then it's very carefully put into the kiln so mm. that everything stays together. And then it, um, it, it fuses as it's being fired. The other way is, is you can throw the glass into a mold and it will just melt all together in a casting. Mm. Um, you know, and and I'll pull. Sometimes I'll pull pieces on the torch, and then I'll lay them on the glass, and and it melts, or tack fuses itself onto the larger pieces of glass. Are you inspired at all by like stained glass windows or anything like that? I was in um, on Mother's Day. The one thing that my mom makes us all do is go to church, and I don't. I'm not a regular church person, so I went with her uh, to church, and I was admiring the windows because it was a sunny day. And I saw all this colored glass. And it was interesting to me is some of the images in the stained glass windows mm-hmm. were, I don't want to say a cult, but like there was pyramid with an eye in it and planets and things that I had never noticed in, in those. Oh, yeah. And I just got kind of lost in it because, you know, I didn't expect to see those things. And I, going back, you know, as an adult to church and, and having you know, being observant of those things. It was just interesting to me that they would pick those objects, but they're not necessarily prominent because there's so much going on in the, in the picture. Mm -hmm. They're almost in the background. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll say that I get inspired by them, but I don't, my work is not really representational. So it wouldn't actually my work, people would probably compare it more to like somebody like Hundervasser or Klimt or something than, than a stained glass window because that's mm-hmm. very representational. But they are beautiful. And see, they use really intense colors because it's in front of the, For the light. light. Yeah. Purposes. Yeah. Um, so when did you start creating art with glass? How old were you? Well, it was 1994, so I think I was five. No, I was <laughs> um, it, it, it's been about 25 years now. Um, yeah, well, I was I was actually working in in ceramic before, and but I was always looking for more color. Mm-hmm. Like ceramic is, it's either a little. Um, 
what's the word? It's 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 not as bright. And I actually just went to a convention with a friend of mine who was a stained glass artist, and she was going to Las Vegas, and she wanted me to go with her so I could, you know, she could play and. Like, well, what am I going to do while, while, while you're in class, you know, taking this conference? And she thought about it. She says, oh, you could take this glass bead class. And I took this class, and I was immediately hooked because, in first of all, it was instant gratification when you do a bead. You know, it's mm. like 15 minutes. <laughs> and and But the colors, it was like playing with liquid crayon. So, yeah. That's pretty cool. And was that your first, the, the first type of art? That, that you gravitated towards, or were you doing something else? And then no, you no, got I, into glass. I was doing ceramic and jewelry before. Okay, but I mean, but that's not really what. In the beginning part of my life, in my last lifetime, if you want to look at it like that, I was a, a professional ballet dancer. Oh, is that right? Yeah, but then when I stopped doing that, I got into. I had always done ceramics, so I, I started doing ceramics and, and jewelry. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I took that glass class that I was like. So that was really the catalyst of it. Yeah. That course. Yeah. Cool. And you uh, were creating jewelry before that with metal and and glass as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. With stones, like tumbled stones. And stuff, yeah. All kinds of things. That's pretty cool. I used to do that with my grandfather. We had a stone tumbler. And we used Uh to tumble the stones. It was so cool. I still remember that. Yeah. I used to actually, I had a... um, I have diamond uh, pads, you know, um, and I would facet some of the stones. You can do the same thing with glass. And um, and then you know how they have those cabochons? What's a so, cabochon? Um, you know, it's just like a, you, you take a stone and then you'll round out the edges of it. Mm-hmm. Or they have the slices of the geodes and stuff. So I used to play with a lot of that stuff and mix it in with jewelry, but... When I got to the glass, I was like, oh, my gosh, look at all that color. So That's awesome. Uh, do you have a studio? Do you work in a studio? I do. I have a studio in Nelsonville. Wow. Where's Nelsonville? Just on, It's actually part of Cold Spring. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and you, you have a kiln and, and the have, whole thing? I have five kilns wow. and, like, three torches and, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Do, how long, like when you're in, do you kind of lock yourself in there for hours at a time and, or do you, do you set a certain time where you're in there? Well, since I have the gallery, I spend not quite as much time as I'd like, but I used to spend, yeah, no, I used to spend all my time in there because I had, um, I worked with a lot of designers, mm-hmm. or I, I mean, I still do, but, and so I was so busy, I was, yeah, I'd have to lock myself in there so I could get everything done. Do you make other things as well? You make like vases or vases or I don't other make vases. Um, I do some functional things like bowls or platters, um, but for the most part, it's really sculpture. So you mentioned the gallery, uh, Gallery sixty six yeah. in Cold Spring. Yes. So can you talk about the origins of that and how you got connected with the gallery? Well, when I first started in glass, I actually. Um, I had started a gallery in Brooklyn. Okay, whereabouts? Uh, in Cobble Hill, but oh. but it was not Shishi then. Believe me, <laughs> um, it didn't get Shishi until after we moved in, and that was there for like sixteen years. It was called um, a Brooklyn Artisans Gallery, and then I moved here. I stopped doing that because I had it was getting very hard commuting from here to there, mm-hmm. and 
I was getting a lot of work from designers and galleries around the country, so I kind of stopped that. And then just through circumstances, I wound up opening the, the gallery in, in Cold Spring. And how long has Gallery 66 been around? Five years. Five years. Yeah. What what types of, do you look, are you the basically the um, kind of the gatekeeper of who gets in and, and has their work displayed? You bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you make that decision? I mean, that's got to be a hard decision to make. Well, the gallery, every gallery has a certain feel to it, mm-hmm. you know, which, which, I don't think some artists understand. Like, if you're handling strictly photography, you're not really going to show a painter. Some galleries are more representational. Some are very uh, Renaissance-oriented. Mm-hmm. Some are very contemporary. Some are more abstract. So I kind of deal with artists that go with the look of, of the other artists that, that are in there. Yeah. So is it sort of thematic in a sense? Mm-hmm. It is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, every month we try to make a theme, but with even with even within that theme or outside of that theme, if you want, it's still more a little contemporary, so, sort of abstract, not totally, but. Um, are you looking like again? Do you look for a specific? So do you look for abstract art mostly. Or can I would say contempt it's probably more contemporary than just abstract. How is um so at Cold Spring, is, is that where you live as well? Yeah. Um it seems in the summertime it's you can't find a parking space well, on the weekends. <laughs> well they don't have that many parking spaces yeah. to begin with. Do you think they should open maybe a municipal lot or something <laughs> like that? They don't have one. Yeah, that'd be great. That's movie but I don't think they're ever gonna do it. But No. No. Um, have they talked about meter parking? They have, but they haven't done it. Yeah. That would, that would suck, right? To have, it would, well, you know what? It would help a little bit, but, um, yeah, no, they, I don't know if they're ever going to do anything about the parking in, in there, but you're right in the summer and the fall, it's, it's impossible. Like I don't have a, um, driveway, mm-hmm. so I get to drive around. If I leave, uh, if I leave in the middle of the day, I get to drive around for hours <laughs> looking for a spot just so I can get inside. Yeah, I um, I know like in Beacon you can only park in certain places at certain times, mm-hmm. um, and the tickets are are steep too. That's like seventy dollar parking ticket if yeah. you're in the wrong spot. But I guess ultimately it keeps people from finding a good spot and keeping their car there for four days and not moving it. Yeah. Do you have that problem there? Yeah. I mean, that well, in the more residential part, they'll let you sit there for you know. A little while, but on Main Street, no. After four hours, you get a ticket. Oh, they do? There is time parking on Main Street? But it's not heavily enforced, I'm assuming. No, it is heavily enforced. Oh, it is? Yes, they walk around with the chalk, and they mark all the the tires. Do they? (laughs) Yes. And after you get the fourth one, you get a ticket. Um, So what's currently on display at Gallery 66? Right now is Don Alter. Um, his abstract contemporary pieces from um, actually some of them are actually brand new but Don's been he's 87 he's been 
painting since he was 17. Mm -hmm. He went to the Black Mountain College. So, yeah, he's been doing it a while. And then in the back gallery, we have a six-year-old. A six-year-old? Yes. Is it uh, like a, a genius or someone who's... No, I just, I liked, I mean, he, he was inspired by a high school exhibit that we had, and mm -hmm. his mom had sent me a picture, and I I really, I mean, he is pretty good, yeah. but no, he's not, no, he's not Picasso, but I thought it would be really cute to see, like, somebody just, really just starting out, mm. and somebody who's been so experienced, who's been doing it for 70 years, you know. Do you get a lot of people that are hungry for, I guess, either exposure or they want to sell their art and they come in and they kind of try and pitch you or sell you on what they're doing? Does that happen? Yeah, about 25 times a weekend, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I mean, what advice do you have for those people? Like, what's the best way to do that? I know a lot of coffee shops and stuff will do that. You'll go in and they'll be like... A cool painting and then you look at the price tag and it'll be like three thousand dollars or something yeah well there's a couple of things i mean if, if you're asking me as a gallerist mm -hmm. so here's my advice to artists first you should visit the gallery because you should know what they carry right? right i mean see what they're into if if they do cartoons and you're trying to get your representation i mean your your abstract art in there they, they're not going to want you and it's and it's a waste of their time and yours and if you started doing cartoons next year, they're not even going to look at your name because they're so upset, because <laughs> they're so irritated by people who don't, who don't do the work. Mm -hmm. And the work is find out if that gallery is a fit. Right. That's part of it. Second of all, be respectful. You know, if you send if you send images and they don't get back to you. You can email once or call once, and then after that, that's it. You right. know, I mean, they that means that they're busy and they weren't interested. So don't be pushy. Don't be pushy. Yeah. Gosh, I hate. Um, and and be realistic. You know, I had this one artist who did these beautiful ceramic masks. I'm going to use it as an example. Mm -hmm. I won't mention her, but. I, I needed somebody at the last minute because another artist had to pull out. It was and it was I only had two weeks to find somebody. And she had come in. Now this is a good way to meet a ga a gallery owner. Mm -hmm. She had come in with her friend who was in another show, and she was helping her, you know, bring her stuff in. And she left me one of her postcards with mm -hmm. a picture of her work, which is great. So it just so happened when this when I I needed somebody really quick, and it, and it fit the theme of that month and I was like okay I called her up and I said can you do this you know I know it's only two weeks notice but can you do it and she mm -hmm. was like yes so I didn't mistakenly I didn't ask what the prices were so the work goes up and then she emails me the prices and I'm like is this right mm. you you have ten thousand dollars on a 10 inch ceramic mask wow and she was like well yeah because you're taking 50 percent I'm like so you sold this for $5,000 before. And she's like, well, no. Yeah. I'm like, so it's unrealistic. She had never had a solo show. And here right. I gave her a solo show. Right. But since she brought the prices down slightly, but it was still ridiculously too high, like like 10 times too high. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I couldn't sell it. But also because of that, people would walk in and say, you know, have you lost your mind this month? <laughs> so it made me look bad. And so then I had to tell her if, if it was, you know, like the, the little four inch mask, I said, if these were $300, I could mm -hmm. have sold every one of them. 
She says to me, oh, well, that's what I sell them for in my, in my studio. I'm like, so why are you selling them for 1800 here? Oh, because you were taking a cut. And I'm like, no, that's not how it works. And even if you were doubling it, that mm. would be $600, not mm. $1,800. So artists think that just because they're going to be in a gallery, they should get this astronomical amount of money. And right. that's just not how it works. You have to start off at a certain realistic point, And then when your stuff starts selling and, and you know off the walls and you can't make it fast enough, you increase your price. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you can increase your price. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get to be, you know, at the point of Picasso when mm-hmm. you can ask whatever you want. But not you don't start off at a million dollars. Right. So. Do you make a recommendation of when you get something that you know that's just not realistic? I well in general, I ask the question before I yeah. even invite them in because if it's if it's if they're off the wall and and if they're if they have a reputation for being difficult to deal with, mm-hmm. they automatically I don't I, I won't even bother. But this particular incident, because it was a two week, I, I didn't have any time to really look and I wasn't thinking, so I didn't ask how much the prices were, which was my fault. Um, so you, you have to have a bit of realism. Mm. Uh, do, I mean, are you at liberty to say what the most expensive pieces you sold? Um, $8,000 for an individual piece. Wow. And are there a lot of buy? I mean, Cold Springs is a pretty affluent area, would you say? Um, yeah, it is. I mean, but we, and we have a lot of people who come there from New York City. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. They come up with the goal in mind of, or maybe just come in and see something they like. No, they come in with the goal of just come getting out to of the city. That's <laughs> that's their goal. Yeah. If they find something that they like, it's a bonus. Uh, anything on the coming up at the gallery? Yeah, this coming month, well, in July is Carla Goldberg, who does um, water pieces on Plexi. And um, we had an open call. So there's a woman in the middle who does um, these fantastic pieces. They're paintings and they're of like gnarly twigs and stuff. And then in the back is um, is somebody who does drawings, but then he also, it's called lenticular. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's with glass and it and the way it's made, you know, as you move, it changes the perspective. That's cool. Yeah. And when is that? That's um, the month of June. Month of June. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, anybody that's been in there that just display their work that you've been a huge fan of? Um, well, there's a lot of people that I would say for that. I mean, uh, uh, Don Alter is one of my favorites. But last month, I had one of my favorite artists, and not, and his work was good, but it, but it was really his personality that mm-hmm. made him my favorite. He was 95. Oh wow! This was his first solo show, and he had, and he was so much fun to work with, and he was just a pleasure to be around. Um, work-wise, I mean, you know, people whose work. Or anyone that inspires you in general that, um. 
that's an inspiration. I, I mean, I mean, there have been a lot of artists that have come through that I could say that about. So not one in particular. Yeah. Sometimes it's um, sometimes it's a group show, and it's the whole like I had a glass show once when it was like the first two years that we opened, and that was really inspiring because well, first of all, because it's my medium, mm-hmm. but also because it was all the different forms of glass that people made. You know, so things that that I thought were pretty unusual. I also curate over at Rockland Center for the Arts, mm-hmm. and this year I'll tell you we had a um, an exhibit that was based on activism um, in art, and well, it was actually um, actually no, it started the activism in art um, trend that I'm doing, but. It was actually in form, so it was sculptural ceramics. But there were two artists that were into activism that really, really inspired me. One was Jocelyn Armstrong, who created these ceramic female figures that were hanging from the ceiling. And down below, there was a woman crotched over among like all these raku pieces that she had made in ceramic, but they were like, you know, things of luxury. Mm-hmm. And and then you read her piece on it, and it was about how in India, 17 women a month get burned oh alive be- from dowry. You know, like they they were a dow they had a, they got a dowry, and the family didn't like the woman, and so they burned them. Oh my God, it's a horrible and story. It is a horrible story, but it, it started me thinking about, you know, the whole process of activism and bringing things into um, into the mainstream, you know, to, to, to have more attention on it. So this coming year, all of my, all of the exhibits there are, are about some form of activism one way or another. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, who's a part of that exhibit? That's at Rockland Center for the Arts. Yeah. It's in West Nyack. Okay. Yeah. And are, do you know, can you name some of the artists that are involved? In in the ones coming up? Yeah. Or, um, sure. Um, yeah, just give me a second. <laughs> I don't mean to put you uh, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, David, um, David Missal. Uh, J. Henry Ford. Actually, Allison Mortesuko. Mort- She's actually from in Beacon. Okay. Um, there's one one of the exhibits. I can tell you more about the exhibit. I mean, because one of the exhibits is called the Tipping Point, and it's all about um, how how the environment, how we're in affecting the environment Mm -hmm. and climate change and so it has to do with you know the um the glaciers in antarctica Mm. it has to do with um like one two of the photographers do um it's called scars industrial scars of how we um dig up the earth and 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 the photographs are actually awesome they look like these fantastic abstracts but when, but when they're taken, that's when they're taken out of context. But when you see the actual picture from far away, you realize, no, that's 
all the sludge from oh mining and all these, and you see all the veins that it's created and how far it's spreading. And um, so it, th- that one's going to be really good. I'm really excited about that. And then there's one craft called craftivism, which is about artists who work in crafts, so ceramic or beading or whatever, and it's all about social justice. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, art, I mean, it, it's, it could convey such a message that is so powerful, more powerful than a news story in a lot of instances. Or, you know, you read uh, all the time about things going on in the world, but if you could see a piece that really moves you in some way, it, it could, it's so impactful. I think visually, well, not everybody is visual, but I think mm-hmm. most people are. And so what happens with art is that you can see it visually. And if it's, and if it's done really well, it can move you in ways that other things can't. Mm-hmm. And it can also open a conversation because you're standing there looking at it along with someone else. So it starts a whole conversation about things. So that's how it brings things to light, I think, quicker than, I won't say quicker than the written word, but mm. but I have noticed that, that there's a whole generation that doesn't really read, read. more than like <laughs> three seconds at a time. Yeah, so. I've, I've noticed, well... Yeah, I do the magazine Hudson Valley Transmitter, and yeah. uh, people, I, you know, we we've had great success with it in a year, but that is something that I'm getting is that I don't know if people are reading books as much, you know, maybe short stories, and that's why we've been successful, and it's poems, and they're easy to digest and they're mm-hmm. short, yeah. um, but in terms of something that's too long, I think people get turned off by it, you know the. You see a they don't 500 have the, page They book. don't have the attention span. It's yeah. terrible. <laughs> Do you see that with art, though? Like, um, if you put something on social media, you know, maybe people glance at it for a second. Whereas if they were maybe, you know, uh, detached from the computer and just kind of strolling around a gallery, they might spend, you know, a couple minutes really kind of soaking it in. Because the, the internet is good in that way where it could, you know, just, you know, distribute your work and you use it as a platform for showcasing your work. But on the flip side, does it, would you say it maybe devalues it in some way? It depends on which medium you're talking about. I think it does help promote it in a lot of ways. However, there are some things that are very tactile. So you can't like fiber, fiber art. I mean, really good fiber art. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't really get that experience over the internet. But where the internet has really hurt, or where I should say technology has really hurt, is with photography. Mm. Because now everybody has a camera on their phone, and they think that everybody's a photographer. But the truth is, is not everybody has an eye, you know? And that's the difference. But people will walk into the gallery and they go, oh, I, I, I I took a picture of that, you know, like... Like last week, or you know, I could do that. And are people really dismissive like that when they yeah, walk in yeah, and they yeah, say, yeah. "Oh, I could do that"? Yeah, well, especially for photography. Hmm. So if you're a photographer, you you better have some seriously good photos or a really different subject matter. Yeah, like these, like you know, um, Marcel who does these, in, you know, these industrial things. You know, so yeah, I had. Uh, a couple episodes ago, um, an illustrator, he mostly illustrates children's books. His name is Stephen uh, Petruccio. 
um, apologize, Stephen, if you're listening and I <laughs> didn't pronounce your last name correctly. But, uh, you know, that was one of the things that he was talking about is, you know, people look at something sometimes and especially in the digital age of Photoshop and everything like that. And they don't really appreciate how much time and research goes into something, skinned, yeah. you know, and uh, it could take hours and hours. And I was bringing up like Dia, like something, I'll be honest, some things in Dia I don't get. And <laughs> I, I don't say that I could do them. But, you know, they, I'll walk into a room and there'll be a, a thousand lines on a wall. I'd be like, well, I could do that. And he was explaining to me that, no, you really can't because there's a lot of research and in, in, it, it's such a so much that goes into it that is most people that maybe who don't understand art don't get. Yeah. When I was talking about Don Alter before, mm -hmm. he has these these paintings and he has the, all these crosshatch lines and somebody asked me if he used a ruler to do them and I'm like no when he studied with Joseph Albers Joseph used to make them sit for days and paint with a paintbrush lines straight lines so he paints all of these lines but it's all it's 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 not just that I mean it's how long it took them to figure out how to do what they're doing because if you're any good, you've developed your own techniques along the way. Mm -hmm. You've gotten better technically at what you do. Um, you have an eye or a certain style that you developed. So, I, I, I mean, I yeah, I think it's hard to say that, oh yeah, I can do that because you probably can't. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people that look at something creatively have <laughs> that feeling. I feel I play, I dabble with guitar. I used to play in bands and stuff. But sometimes I hear songs, I'm like, oh, I could do that. And then I try to play the song and I'm like, no, I really can't. That's why they do it. Yeah. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit. You're from New Orleans. Yes. Uh, when did you move to the Hudson Valley? Well, I moved to New York uh, when I was 21. And then I moved up here 20 years ago. So you lived in Brooklyn? No. Well, I lived in Manhattan for a little for most of the time, and then mm. the last year or so, I lived in in Brooklyn. How would you say the art scene? How do you think there's a vibrant art scene in the Hudson Valley? Yeah, I think there is. What What brought you up here? Uh, I was having a a kid. <laughs> I didn't want to live in the city. In the city. <laughs> yes. Um. So you settled in Cold Spring. Mm-hmm. And. Does the Hudson Valley inspire you? It does, because I'll tell you why. Well, I'll tell you the first thing, because growing up in New Orleans, everything is flat. And and even though it's summer most of the time, during the dead of summer, everything is also dead mm. <laughs> from the heat. I was going to say, I've never been to New Orleans. I've always wanted to go to Mardi Gras or see the Jazz Fest and yeah. stuff like that. But it's hot, right? It's super hot. It's super hot. Yeah. And if you want to go to something, go to the Jazz Festival. It's much better than Mardi Gras. <laughs> um, no, I'm serious. Yeah. Um, yes, it is super hot. In the month of August, it, it can be 102 degrees. But with the humidity, which is 98%, oh my God, it like can feel like it's 118 so yeah, it gets moving very slowly. Yes, it's like you're walking underwater or something. That's right. Yeah, you get out of the shower and you're already dripping sweat. So, um, but when I moved up here, I thought it was one of the most beautiful places I'd ever been. And when I danced, I traveled a lot. But the mountains and the and the greenery and the river, it's it is. It's we live in one of the most gorgeous places in the world, and we were vote. And this area was voted 
one of the top 20 places to see by National Geographic before you die. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I would have thought maybe like Sedona, Arizona or um, Palm Springs in the desert in California. Yeah. It is beautiful here. And I think I sometimes don't appreciate it because I grew up here and I moved to different places. Mm-hmm. You know, I lived in different states uh, and, and I always end up coming back here. And as an adult, I really do appreciate it when I see the sunsets in the mountains and um, the wildlife and the trees, especially now it's spring, everything's blossoming. It is a pretty place. It's a pretty place. And it's also for someone like yourself who has a, a studio with kilns. And I'm sure you need you know, a certain amount of space as well, which it allows you to... Well, yeah, that was the other factor of moving up here was because in Brooklyn... It's very hard to get studio space with kilns and torches. For less than a million dollars. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) I used to live in uh, Greenpoint, and um, I didn't live there prior to, I guess it was a rough neighborhood, predominantly Polish neighborhood. Um, But yeah, now it's like very hipster. Everything's super expensive. Uh, Cold Spring... It's it's kind of stayed status quo, right? I mean, it never really had a period where it was bad or Yeah, it did. Did it? When? Well, well, I wasn't living here then, but according to people who have lived there for a long time in the 70s, okay. Things were boarded up and people wouldn't even go there. Yeah, so And isn't that interesting how that happens like here too? And it yeah. was kind of a similar story. Um but, you know, things get a little pricey. Everything has its season, yes, yeah. because, yeah, because real estate in Cold Spring has tripled, so, in the 20 years. Uh, do you, with the gallery, is there sort of a board of directors, or is it is it your... No, it's, how does it, it's me. Yeah, is it a lot of, to, it's got to be a, a giant task to maintain it and... It is, but, well... When I say it's me, I mean, yeah, I'm in charge, but there are nine artists, and so we kind of work together. I mean, Mm -hmm. I show other artists besides those nine, but those are the nine that are like the stable representing artists, and Mm -hmm. so they do help with a lot of this stuff. Um, But also, just in terms of also booking shows and getting doing promotion and all that kind of stuff, it's got to be... You know what it's like? It's like, this is what I'm going to equate it to. It's like opening up a brand new shop every month mm-hmm. because you have to install, you have to deinstall everything. You have to paint all the walls after you patch them. You have to install a whole new show. Wow. You have to do PR for the whole show. You mm-hmm. have to put up signage for the show. You know, any advertising. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like opening up a brand new business every month. It's a lot of work. Going back to what we said, people look at something and don't realize the work that goes into it. I mean, that's something that, myself included, I mean, when I, I walk in there, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful spot. Um, Thank you. But you don't really think about that, that, you know, the holes in the walls from hanging, you know, portraits or pictures or paintings, then when you take those down, that has to be, you know, fixed. And how do you go about like the layout of an exhibit? Do you look at, does that involve the work, like examining the mm-hmm. work and seeing how is that's got to be an art in itself of how to best. It is. And, and the Monday night the before we install. So we have a quick turnaround there. Um, the show comes down the, the last Sunday of the month. 
on Sunday night, the walls get patched. On on Monday, they get painted. On wow. Tuesday, the and Monday night, I sit with the work for a couple of hours and I arrange it and decide where everything is going to go. Mm. And on Tuesday, we install. On Wednesday, the numbers go up and the price list gets done. And on Thursday, the vinyl goes up on the walls. And hopefully by Friday, we're done. Man. My biggest, I'm going to tell you my biggest beef about this is because, <laughs> is because artists, and, and I didn't realize this actually until I, I had the gallery in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Now, when I had that gallery, I had um, eight other partners. But, you know, I, I would then go to shows and artists would say, oh, can you believe that that gallery's taken 50%? And I was like, and God bless them because do you know how much work is Their in that? Work, yeah. I love when a gallery takes my work. They can have that 50% because they work awfully hard for it. And then they have rent. They have heat. They have lights. They have, you know, internet. They have advertising. They have right. to deal with all the people that come in. They have to deal with all the artists that come in. Right. You know, they have to make sales. They it, it bookkeep. I mean, it's a lot of work. So God bless them. They 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 earned that fifty percent. You know, but my biggest beef is when artists when I show artists and then I see them at the opening giving out their personal business uh, cards and they're making up. and they're making their own sales. Well, that's they automatically up. go on a list to never show again. But it that's my biggest beef. That's something I never thought of. So they kind of. I, I guess you could say undermine because you're doing all that promotion and doing all that work to get their name out there and help them sell their work and then they turn around and sell it privately. That's kind of, that's really messed up. Yes, it is. And and what they don't realize is that by doing that, if the gallery cannot keep its doors open, then they don't have a place to sell. I mean, they get legitimized by being shown in a gallery. That's why everybody wants to be shown in a gallery. Right. But if you then undercut that gallery, and it's not, I'm not just talking about me. I mean, it, it hap- it's happening all over because of the, the internet makes it a lot easier because somebody, I've actually had people come in and, and they'll photograph with their phone the name of the artist and I'll hear them say, I'll, I'll look them up when I get home. So they'll look them up and then they'll call the artist. And if the artist is reputable, they'll say, you either have to buy it through the gallery or they'll sell it to them and then they'll, they'll, they'll call me and say, I owe you a commission. Which is fine because do they do that? There's a few that do that, yeah. But there are a lot that don't, and and I I know it happens because I've had a customer call up and say, you know, I bought that painting from that artist when he was in last month, and and I haven't you know I haven't heard from him yet. I'm like really, <laughs> that's probably because it's still hanging on my wall. <laughs> when you like, for example, when a story is in the magazine, we have a three month. We own like three month rights. Only for that reason. I don't want to own anyone's story. Right. I just, I'm spending the time to print it and distribute it and sell ads for it and, you know, help them get their name out there. That if I didn't do that and then they turned around and it was in the New Yorker in the same month. Yeah. You know what I mean? That would screw me over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get that. Um, it's the same thing with the pricing, too. I mean, you know, when we were talking about that earlier, because if, if you're selling, if, if, like open studios is coming up, right? So if an artist is selling something at an open studio and they're selling it for fifty dollars, mm-hmm. but they're trying to sell it in a gallery for four hundred dollars, who 
who's that I mean, benefiting the customer? It's not benefiting the artist, actually. They're screwing themselves, but they're also hurting the gallery that is showing their work. So I think if you're going to price something, you, you have the same price no matter where you mm-hmm. are. And then if you're selling it in your studio, guess what? You just made more money. So good for you. Is it, that's kind of an artist's resume, right? Is that what galleries they've been accepted into and yep. featured in? So that's important for an artist. Uh, I just I had a question. Who is the, the artist? Because I wasn't familiar with him before. He just sold that ridiculously expensive uh, painting, Basquit or something like that. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how to pronounce his Basquet. name. Basquet. Basquet. Something like that. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, but yeah. Um, so, I mean, that can someone just come out of, I'm sure he's been in galleries before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for a long time. Yeah, he was He was with the Andy, he was involved like with Andy Warhol during that time period. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. but if he wasn't, would his art sell for anything? No, he was on the street before, he, yeah. <laughs> before that. Um, it just, I don't know. That, so that just seems to be like, what kind of makes an art event, artist relevant in some ways mm-hmm. is what galleries they've been in. So without that kind of clout. Well, with what, what that does is it, it allows people to know who you are. It allows your name to get out there. I mean, now with the internet, I guess you can get your name out there other ways, but it really does give you a legitimacy and, and a certain respect from people because it is not that easy to get into galleries for right. all the reasons that I've told you tonight. Yeah. So the bottom line is, is a gallery is a business like anything else. Right. I mean, I'm not a philanthropist, so I can't just show people just because I like them. And, you know, it doesn't matter if if I don't make any money because it does. And And that's why it's so hard to get into the galleries in the city because their rent is so astronomically high. Mm. They're going to show people that they absolutely know that they can get money. Uh, just to go back to ba- Basquiat, I'm probably Basquet. I'm probably butchering. His I name. think it's Basquiat. I, I mean, uh, someone brought to my attention that his art is very similar to that of Miles Davis. Does that have any relevance? They, they. I don't know if you, I had never seen Miles Davis's art, but this person um, had put up kind of side by side, and uh, it looked strikingly similar i don't know if it's a certain type of art or i'm sure miles davis was doing it earlier i would imagine i don't think so because well first of all pesquad is 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 dead um if we're talking about the same person and he was way before miles davis oh okay yeah, the person that I was talking, I think he's like he's an African American person. I don't maybe he yeah, is he's dead. Yeah. I thought he was someone who was young. I didn't I don't know much about art. If if we're talking about the same the same artist, no, he's very well known and mm. he and he was around the time of Andy Warhol. I'm pretty sure he's passed on. Mm. I mean, he died young though. Maybe those are the pictures that I'm seeing. Yeah. Well, I'm learning something <laughs> on this podcast. Um so can you talk a little bit about circles? So there's a lot of circles in your work, right? And Or you had a, a recent installation that involves circles? Mm-hmm. What, why, why circles? You know, that's a really good question because all of my work originally was squares and rectangles. It was very, um, very stiff. 
Um, I don't know. I I just started doing softer things, and I guess that's how the, how I got into circles. But it's also like infinite. I mean, the actual reason that I started doing it, I had a collector who wanted to give my work as a gift to one of their friends in, in who had just bought a condo in New York City, an apartment. And I was like, okay, but they wanted it, the interior designer that they gave to the friend wanted it for the entryway. And I said, well, that'll be like, you know, $20,000. I don't know that they want to give that big of a gift. And they really only wanted like 5000 So what we did was I knew the parts of the of one of my sculptures that they really liked. And it, and it was in my collage work. And it, so it was all these rectangles and squares. And I took that part out of the sculpture and made them f- pieces that could float on the wall. Mm-hmm. But I liked it better as a circle than I did as a square. It just seemed to flow a little better. A lot of uh, symbolism, too, in a circle, right? Right, right. Being complete and... Mm-hmm. Infinite. Infinite. And, yeah. So, and, and I have found that, that my work in the last few years <clears throat> does have a lot of circles in it. Yeah. Is that something that's... What are you working on now? Well, lately, actually, I've worked... I've been working more on these mosaic sculptures... So oh, cool. I, yeah. With glass? With glass, yeah. Of what are they, what are the mosaics of? Um, I did some that were like the crystals from Superman. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, they were really tall. And um, those are in a park in New Jersey now. And then I did some with a, a friend of mine, Carol Flates. We took one of her drawings and I made it into this fantastical bird. So it One's a yoga bird and one's in the namaste position. That's awesome. But they're like seven feet tall. Really? Yeah, with the wings. And yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. How long did it take you to complete that? Um, About a month. Wow. But it was a month not by myself. You know, Carol was actually helping me. Do you like collaborating or do you like working alone? It depends what the project is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, like even in the gallery, um, for example, you said this gallery is that's sort of your thing, or it is your thing. And in Brooklyn, you had partners that you mm-hmm. worked with. Yeah. Do you prefer one or the other? If the if the you know partners make it make it work a little better, mm. the nine artists that I have, um, we actually work as a team, and and it does make it. It does make it nicer. Sometimes working by yourself is good. There are times when I love being in my studio by myself and not having any disturbances and just being able to do what I want. But a lot of times it's it's nicer to have some feedback from other people and help and helping hand and getting things done. So it depends on what the project is, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I write. But I also play music. And, um, oh, I did. I played music for a while. Um, but the band element of that was more collaborative. And we'd find ourselves sometimes not getting along on certain things. People were adamant about one thing, and you'd come in and be adamant about something else, and you didn't see eye to eye always. Sometimes we did. Most of the time we did. But sometimes, you know, you just have creative difference. 
Um, but yeah, it's a different animal. I like writing for myself. Sometimes I feel a little isolated, you know, cause it's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but music again is more of a communal kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, if you're in a group, so if you're in a group that's, um, like a cooperative gallery or you're in a salon type of situation, you can find that that those times when you're in your studio by yourself and you can get out and belong to some of those groups that they give you feedback on things you might not have thought of. You you kind of grow as a result of, of, of just um, looking at their work, them giving you feedback. So I think there's a lot of advantages to it because, yeah, you're right, like an artist can only work by themselves for so long mm. <laughs> and then they can go crazy. Um, so do you have the mosaics mm-hmm. that uh, are out? Are, is there any current projects that you have coming out in the next or something that people should be on the lookout for? Or where, where can they see your work? Where can they find um, out more about you? Well, Hudson Beach Glass carries my work. Mm-hmm. And then I have two installations at the new um, spa in Beacon, okay. which is almost, not quite, but almost across the street from yeah. from Hudson Beach Glass. Do you have, uh, what's your relationship with Hudson Beach, Beach Glass? Do you ever do work in there or... Well, they sell my work. Uh, I know, uh, but like in the there's the whole kiln area. Do you ever do no, any type of things No, because I don't really there? do glass blowing. Gotcha. I, I do fusing, but but we've done. We used to travel um, around the country doing shows in the same oh, places. Cool. Yeah, that's how I know them. That's a great building. I've never yeah. been upstairs. I don't know if there is there apartments upstairs. What's upstairs? No, the second floor is a gallery. Okay, I've never been upstairs. I've only yeah. been to the the ground floor level. Yeah. Okay, that's that's really cool. Um, is there anything you wanted to add that I didn't ask? Anything you wanted to mention, talk about, upcoming things at the gallery? Are you part of any groups, local groups, or anything like that? Artist collectives? or? No, not really. I'm too busy working. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, no, the gallery has, you know, we, I mean, on, on the website, we list what's going to be shown every month and what's coming up. Um, and Rockland Center for the Arts, the same thing. We list what's coming up. Although, although if you're looking for something to do outdoors, Rockland Center for the Arts just opened up a nature trail with sculpture on it, which oh, that's is pretty cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. They have ten acres worth of land over there. So, wow. So they have a sculpture park, and then they have the nature trails with sculpture. That's awesome. It's something that's really cool to see it outside. Mm-hmm. Um, like. Storm King or something like that. Yeah. So this you meander along the trails. Yeah. And as you meander, you know, like you'll you'll turn a corner and you'll see something, and then you have to go a little further before you see, you know, another piece. So it's really it's cool to see it in that environment. It's mm-hmm. um, it's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. And then as the, it, it because it'll be there for a year, so it will change as each of the seasons change. You know. They keep it in the winter as well. It doesn't get damaged or anything in the winter time. No, well, we made sure it was to <laughs> stay outside. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I really appreciate you coming by. Thank you for having and, me. Yeah, it was great talking with you. Thanks. Thanks. Peace out, Transmodians.